Hey, this is Evergreen. Where our stories never go out of season. I'm Caleb, and I'm an audio engineer. And that's Mitchell. And I'm a journalist. And here we explore the one thing that brings us all together, storytelling. Every episode features a story crafted from prompts brought to you by our lovely listeners. And then we bring their stories to life with a soundscape of music, atmosphere, and sound design. The topics for this story are A Clock Strikes Midnight, An Aquarium, and Getting Knocked Out Cold. And this week features the amazing talent of author and host of the Steamrollers Adventure Podcast, Michael J. Rigg. So relax, put on some headphones, it's better that way, trust me, and get ready for our steampunk adventure, A Case in the Clockworks. Things are complicated. And I'm not an idiot. It's not like I don't know how steam power works. I mean, after all, the whole world runs on it. It's the simpler things that are the most complex. The things you ignore because you think they're idiotic. Yeah, that's it. That's that's what it is. That's what I thought as I sat on the grimy curb outside the station house, staring wide-eyed down at the bundle of newspapers that had knocked me out cold crowd of people pressing in around me as Detective Bronski continually dips his fingers in a cup of water and flicks him in my face. Stop it! But I'm getting way ahead of myself. It all started yesterday. A simple ordinary day in New York. The airships buzzed around the towers. The trolleys trundled by. And Bronski met me at the door with a paper cup of water. You know I prefer coffee this early, Bron. Water's better for you, Assistant Chief. I always say thanks, and I always take the cup. So I plop down into my squeaky office chair, snap open the paper I'd had under my arm, and that's when I notice it. The station house is half empty, and those who are here are crowded on one side of the room to the right of my desk. Wallace and Trulane are huddled in a corner whispering, a couple of uniforms are doing the same, and June Pierce sitting on Bronsky's desk, legs crossed at the knee, finger tapping on her chin as she stares at me. I snarl at her. What the hell was the Starpoint's star reporter doing here? I open my mouth to tell her to get her ass off the desk, and that's when she points to the empty side of the room, now that she has my attention, and says, Elephant in the room. I look where she's pointing, and all the desks on that side of the room were pushed into a box, and every typewriter, card reader, pencil cup, were relocated to the half-empty bookshelves on the opposite side of the room. And there, in the middle of the box of desks, was a gray-haired old lady in a purple dress, a black shawl around her shoulders, and the lightest twinkle in her eye. She winked at me, then reached up with both her hands to brush aside a loose gray hair, both hands because they were cuffed. What the hell is this? Ask your partner, June says, hopping off Bronsky's desk and heading out as Bron takes her place. Do you mind telling me what the hell they They brought her in about a half hour ago? I glanced back at the makeshift prison of desks around her. She seemed too frail to vault them, and she was cuffed. Again, Bron, what the hell is Chief himself wants her booked for murder. Who? How? Come on. Chief's still on the scene where they're mopping up. We stand. I go to grab my coat and hat and realize I never took them off. 
Mopping? What do you mean, mopping? You know Iron Glory? Everybody does. I saw him in the ring like three weeks ago. He dropped a Johnny Jefferson. Yeah, he's the Vic. I looked back at the old woman, my jaw hanging open. She winked at me again. Her smile was thin, her face made of infinite folds of the most delicate parchment paper. She killed Mike Iron Glory McAllister. Brutally. Shredded the poor bastard. How? But Bronski was already pulling me by my coat sleeve toward the door, telling me he'll explain on our way down to Wessel Clockworks on 4th Street. Whenever my partner and I visit a crime scene, we typically go by handsome cab, motor cab, or trolley. He wanted to be sure no one heard, so he grabbed one of the uniforms from downstairs to drive us. He and I stuffed ourselves unceremoniously into the back of a horse-drawn paddy wagon. Is this necessary? What if I told you that Iron Glory was torn apart by a shark? Shark? You know, like a lone shark? I, I wouldn't be surprised, but you said that the old lady... No, 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 no. A real shark. Like the fish? Sharks ain't fish, they're mammals. That's porpoises. What's a porpoise? Like a dolphin. Never mind. Just give me the full story. Bronski was barely finished with the story when we arrived at Wessel Clockworks. I tripped my way out of the paddy wagon and stepped around a pool of watery blood in the gutter. The picture window of the clockworks was shattered, shards of glass littered the walkway, and there were bits and pieces of broken clock everywhere. The chief was there in his long coat, shooing away a local resident, and closed his notebook. He bristled his handlebar mustache in my direction, not an easy thing to do with as much wax as the chief uses, and waved me over. A paddy wagon? Bron's idea. He wanted to keep this story on the down low, even though June Pierce was already perched on his desk when I got in this morning. That woman's like a chicken hawk. Yes, sir. So, uh, Bronski told me the story, but I still don't know how it all came together and what the old lady had to do with it. You mind telling me in English, bringing me up to speed, boss? The sidewalk was soaked with water pouring out from inside the clockworks, and water was colored red with blood on the sidewalk. I'd seen enough of it in the gutter during my career to know it wasn't paint. The chief had two uniforms and leather aprons using push brooms to get the water out of the building, and the clockworks was destroyed. Water splashed around our shoes as we stepped over toppled grandfather clocks. The shop stank of seawater and dead fish. We splashed our way toward the only piece still standing. It was magnificent. I'd never seen a clock like this before. It was at least eight feet around, and it was beautiful. Its face was made of gleaming, polished brass and silver with jeweled inlays at each of the numbers. A gem was missing from the number four, and both hands were frozen at 12. Glancing around, I saw that the other clocks had stopped at 12 as well. The chief cleared his throat and gestured toward the enormous timepiece as he spoke. The victim, one Michael Sean McAllister... Iron Glory, the boxer, yeah. You asked to hear this. Sorry, Chief. Go on. Michael Sean McAllister often spars at Ridley's gym across the way there. He pointed out the broken picture window. I looked at the crowd across the street, most of whom were scrawny neighborhood kids with oversized boxing gloves on their mitts and their leather trunks pulled up over their bellies. Old man Parker, who runs the clock store, received delivery of the... He gestured to the gigantic clock and opened his notebook. He read... Bell and Wessel's Jolly Brass Musical Mini Bend. Mini Ben, sir? Like Big Ben in Britain. Are you paying attention? Yes, sir. Sorry. Anyway, this gaudy thing was to be installed in the new tower in Central Park. Uh, Parker tells me it chimes with music every hour on the hour. It's tone softly rising between 6 and 12. Some sort of crescendo that plays the top of 12 twice a day. Noon and midnight. Brilliant, AC, and that's why you'll make Chief someday. Uh, 
Thank you, sir. Mr. McAllister, being the beef-laden, muscle-bound monster all belted boxers are, was asked by Mr. Parker to help him roll the Titanic timepiece in through the loading bay in the alley. Parker made the mistake of telling the recently deceased Iron Glory fellow where he hid the alley door key. So, Michael Iron Glory McAllister, who still owes Kenny the Ham, 40 large, decided to help himself to... The chief tapped the gemless hole on the number four. We found it in what was left of his left front pocket. You see... Chief directed me to follow him around the clock face, which was nearly as thick as the doors it had to have been rolled through, and pointed out the incredible mechanism inside it. The clockkeeper's door was propped open. Gears everywhere, pistons, pendulums, it was an amazing piece of art. The chief snapped his fingers in my face. I blinked. He pointed to a pin set into a mechanism just inside the door. That little toggle doohickey there is set to keep the pendulums from striking the bells while the door is open. That's to keep the clock worker from going deaf. Parker said he kept the door open naturally because those things... He pointed to a series of brass bells ranging in size from small teacups to buckets and long pipes with frowning mouths like those on a church organ. Would shatter every glass face from here to the picture window if it went off. Ah, so that's what shattered the front window. But then what... Doesn't explain the water or the shark? Mm Mm-hmm. Which emergency services already hauled out of here in a truck, your Iron Glory's leg still hanging out of its jaws. Chief snickered. (laughs) Damnedest thing. Chief. Seems McAllister reached inside to release the glass cover here, then politely closed the door here, which reactivated the chimes, then proceeded to help himself to the emerald at number four, which I'm told was just stained glass. <laughs> the chief chuckled. We figured Parker locked up at five. McAllister came back around 1101-ish, maybe. Made the mistake of closing the clockkeeper's door, and the clock struck 12 at midnight last night. I was dumbstruck. I shrugged. The chief relished my inability to figure out how that would cause a shark to materialize and eat a muscle-bound sneak thief. The chief laughed and pointed up. Water still dripped from what was left of the high ceiling, the rafters and waterlogged plaster. I moved to see the reverse-angle lettering in an arch in the second-story window above the water-damaged hole. It read, Tremel's Exotics. A pet store? An illegal exotic pet store. They had a shark up there? In an aquarium that occupied half that floor, yes. And God knows how many tons of water. How in the hell did the... Ceiling hatch, airship crane, nets, blah, blah, blah. That's a whole other case, a whole other warrant, and a whole other range of fines. I nodded dumbly. I shrugged. I nodded dumbly again. Chief sent me back to the station house to officially book the old gypsy woman who witnesses said was knocked on her rear by the lumbering McAllister on 5th Street and then he moved on without helping her up or even apologizing and that's when she pointed her bony finger at him and said something like, you'll be eaten by a shark at midnight. Yeah, who would believe that, right? And yet it happened. And that explained why the old lady was still boxed in by desks and handcuffs and why everyone was keeping out of earshot from her. Bronsky even stayed well back as I approached, hat in hand. Um, Miss, uh... Gantz. She said. Marka Gantz. My daughter runs a troupe of singers in the Confederation. Swell. Look, Miss Gantz, the chief wants me to charge you, though just because you predicted it doesn't make it so, so I... I, I glanced back at Bronsky. I don't, I don't know. 
But we're going to keep you until we're sure you weren't anywhere near the clock store, the pet store, the gym, or anywhere around the crime scene, okay? She didn't say anything until Bronski stepped up next to me. I will cooperate with the man who will help crack the case of John Stitch. Bronski chuffed. John Stitch? The serial killer? I shushed him, then leaned across her desk prison. Stitch moved across the border, lady. I nudged Bronski. Lock her up until we get something out of her. You will crack the case, AC. But not before John Stitch knocks you out cold. Admittedly, the laugh Bronski and I shared was cracked and dry in our throats. But shark attack in a clock shop or not, there's no way a serial killer was going to touch me. That's the story of the gypsy, the shark, and the clock thief boxer. Oh, right. I started the story coming out of a daze in front of the station house after being knocked out cold by a bundle of newspapers thrown from a boy on the back of the news wagon. That's what I get for not paying attention to... And then I saw the headline. Killer Stitch, back in New York. Oh my gosh, that was so much fun. Seriously, really, really amazing. Yeah, I love... I have not seen too much stuff in the steampunk world, but uh, Michael and the Steamrollers podcast really knows how to just... Absolutely. Make it something special. Thank you guys so much for writing such a cool story. I had so much fun getting to edit it, add sound design to it, and making just the atmosphere... Um, I hope I did you guys justice. And we're going to actually hand it over to uh, Michael J. Rigg and let him explain a little bit more about uh, the story, where he came up with it, and what you guys uh, should know about the Steamrollers Adventure Podcast. Hello there, Evergreen listeners and fellow fans. My name is Michael J. Rigg. I am the author of the Heart of Bronze Steampunk Adventure Series, which currently includes Clockwork Looking Glass and Clockwork Pandora. Both are available at Amazon.com for ebook and softcover. You can find the podcast at steamrollersadventurepodcast.libsyn.com or my website at rigstories.com. That's R-I-G-G. The uh, Steamrollers Adventure Podcast is also on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and pretty much just about anywhere you can find a podcast. The show is like one of those actual play D&D podcasts with a group of friends recording their adventures. The difference is that I add sound effects and music, but everything in the Steamrollers podcast takes place in the universe that I created for my books. All the steampunk tropes are there, you know, corsets and handlebar mustaches, airships and steam, Tesla devices and automatons. It's an alternate history where the South won the American Civil War, and it's also an alternate reality where an evil corporation has made ghoulish monsters of little boys and magic-throwing witches of little girls. Each season is a different adventure, and everything that happens in my stories is somehow related. There are even a few characters from this Evertale that appear in the Heart of Bronze. Now, I want to offer a huge thanks to Mitchell and Caleb for asking me to write an Evertale. I found out about the show on Twitter, and I've been hooked on the concept and the spellbinding stories that come out of random, seemingly unrelated topics. Genius. I'm a fan, guys, for real. 
The guys were also nice enough to allow me to spin my Evertail into the Heart of Bronze universe and steampunk it up a bit. But it wasn't easy trying to find ways to link an aquarium, getting knocked out cold, and a clock strikes at midnight. It was tough, but it was fun. I love the Evertails where you don't see it coming, and while many of you probably figured this one out, it at least our Detective AC was stumped. And I just can't thank you guys enough for letting me play with your toys for a bit. Keep up the great work, Evergreen. Right on. Uh, that was right with a W. Like, right as in to, to write. It does, doesn't work so well in audio, but... Uh, 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 rock on uh, with words. Peace out, Evergreen. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Michael, and... Hopefully you guys really check out the Steamrollers Adventure Podcast. It's really awesome. They got a great website where you can find it. Just Google it. It's not hard. And check out his books, too. Really, really cool. And we actually have a new Instagram. It is You can find us, actually, at Evergreencast. We post some pictures and stories up there. Um, we also have a Twitter, which is also at Evergreencast, which Mitchell runs a lot of. Keep them, uh, keep them consistent, I guess. Yeah, head over to the Instagram. You get to see behind-the-scenes photos that I take of Caleb while he edits the uh, audio, and I sit there waiting for us to be done. Moving on to more important things, we need to p- uh, pick the topics for next week or next episode. So two weeks from now. Two weeks from now. Yes. All right, let me roll the dice. Uh, once again, for anybody who does not know how this works, the audience sends in topics to us uh, right now you can do it through twitter you can private message us or you can uh, how else i guess we have a facebook as well yeah you can add um, us we have a facebook group you can comment on a instagram photo and i'll find it and i'll add it to our list really just get it to us and we'll add it to the list and i guess this is the time to announce it is that we have a website that's going to be coming out soon and you will be able to add topics directly to the website and we will see them instantly you will also be able to suggest a story and even um, sign up to write or perform a story in an, uh, in an upcoming episode of Evergreen. It's under construction, but not for too much longer. It'll be up soon. So, the topics for the next story are 35. A coach with a gambling problem, and uh, that comes to us from AJ Harris. So, thank you, AJ. Cool. Um, 63. 63, that is a 4 a.m. swim, and that comes to us from Chelsea Cartwright. Great. And last one. 20. 20. Summer rain, and uh, we can thank Josh Pescara for that one. Awesome. Well, that's 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 what it is then. A coach with a gambling problem, a 4 a.m. swim, and summer rain. And do, would you like to uh, announce who our guest is for the next Oh, episode? yeah. Yes. Uh, we will be having a special guest... Danielle Ishihara. She's a great storyteller. She'll be uh, writing the story and performing the story uh, in the next episode. So super exciting for that. Look forward to it, guys. It's going to be a good one. excited for that. Yeah, not exciting. Anyway, um, it is 3 in the morning. It, right, it is. Off. I'm going to bed. You're going to... Okay. I'm, I'm going home. Lock the door. Okay. Uh, anyone can tell a story? Y'all have a good night now.